Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're listening to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where this week we're discussing the MCU's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, plus covering off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania kicks off Phase 5 of Marvel's Cinematic Universe with the third Ant-Man film. Life is good for Scott Lang and his reunited family, Hope and Janet Van Dyne, Hank Pym and daughter Cassie. But their comfy bliss is soon interrupted when Cassie's curiosity sends them all hurtling back into the quantum realm, where they discover strange creatures a destroyed society and a menacing master of time. Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania is directed by Peyton Reed, who has directed the previous Ant-Man films in the series and also, get this, cheerleader flick, Bring It On. Bit random. So random, isn't it? <laughs> kind of fits with his humour though, I guess. It totally does. I completely agree with you. The screenplay is by Jeff Loveness, who is a former Jimmy Kimmel Live writer. I mean, keeping up with the trend of just random factoids about these people involved in this film, Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania, of course, stars Paul Rudd. We have Evangeline Lilly in there, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jonathan Majors and Catherine Newton. 
All right, Tim. So this is the 31st Marvel movie, if you can believe that. 31. I am actually dizzy. And it's so funny, Lee, because when I was sitting down to write my notes for this film, I was like, how many Marvel movies have there been? So I jumped on Google and I just fell off my seat. I was like, how did we get to 31? I'm just absolutely floored. And apparently this one is the second ever MCU film with a Rotten Tomatoes critic score that's rotten. Rotten. It's sitting around 50 or 60%. Where is it? It's currently sitting at 49%. Last I checked. Yikes. The only other film in the MCU to get that dubious honour is Eternals, which I disagreed with as well. And I want to challenge that score on this one too. And not just because I'm a fan of MCU, because you know I am. Yes, of course. How much are you going to challenge it? I mean, we'll, we'll dive into it, but I'm just curious as to how much further up the Rotten Tomato score you might end up as we discuss. I don't think it was that bad. Oh, okay. There you go. No. There you go. I don't think it was... bad either. I think that's a little cruel, but I do have my criticisms about it, which we'll no doubt dive into together. So this one sits after the events of Endgame and the blip where everyone is taking a bit of a break, having a bit of a breather. We've defeated Thanos. It's all good. Uh, (laughs) But the after effects of that half of life being blinked back into existence means that homelessness is at an all-time high. You know, that's been touched on in a few of the phase four films, but we spend very little time in the real world before it's straight into the action of the quantum realm. Right. It doesn't mess around. We get straight into the action. Probably, I reckon it's within the first 10 or 15 minutes, we're in the quantum Hmm. realm already. And I enjoyed that. I think that was a good move. We know these characters. We know who they are. We don't need to dive into any more backstory. And I guess we couldn't accept Scott Lang prancing around on cloud nine for long because, as we all know, (laughs) there's a new big bad in town in Kane the Conqueror, which we'll talk about, and he had to face him at some point, and here we are. So all that happy-go-lucky, he's written a book, his family's all together. I mean, that really didn't last long. The story for the creators in this one is not as important here as setting up the beginning of this phase is and giving audiences a bigger taste of Kang the Conqueror, who is going to be the big bad villain of phase five. We actually attended a Q&A screening with Paul Rudd, Jonathan Majors and Peyton Reed when they were in Australia a few weeks ago. Mm. And Reed said that what makes Kang so much more intimidating is that Kang has variants. And this Kang is the one they all fear. There's a reason why he's in the quantum realm. Yes, he's a naughty, naughty boy, this (laughs) Kang. (laughs) Obviously, the story is once again driven by family and Scott's love for his daughter Cassie, who basically screws it up for everyone, right? Yeah, I mean, there's always someone who fucks up. And, I mean, historically, Scott Lang has been a bit of a bumbling idiot. Yeah. I mean, of of course, he was redeemed by basically saving the universe. Endgame happened and and everyone was saved. I mean, almost everyone was saved because of Scott. So, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, though, with his now 18-year-old daughter, Cassie Lang, who leans into her curiosity, her rebellious nature, and her deep intelligence, which might mask some common sense as to what you should and shouldn't (laughs) dabble in when it comes to science time and space. (laughs) Can I pose a bit of a philosophical question? The big question that I'm always left with in these films is, do these heroes actually ever leave the world in a better place than they found them? Or do they just spend the whole time fixing what they accidentally broke with their hubris, you know? (laughs) 
I, look, I don't think it's much of a philosophical question that you're posing me. It's the reality of the situation when it comes to superheroes. You've n- nailed it. Like, that's what they're doing. Everything is actually quite all right until they try and fix <laughs> something or, or consider something else in a different way. And then, you yeah. know, all this drama and chaos ensues and they're just trying to pick up their own their own pieces that left behind. Yeah, they're just cleaning up their own mess, basically. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, one thing to remember, though, going back to the Rotten Tomatoes critic score and how this film is being received, it's it's got very mixed reviews. I'm interested to see what the audience score will be once the public start seeing the film Mm. but one thing to remember is this is the beginning of a new phase okay so each phase builds up to these epic conclusions which sets the bar pretty high phase four was arguably the most tame i guess of all the phase endings Mm -hmm. and phase four was the shortest but it ended with this beautiful emotionally powerful black panther wakanda forever yes So now we have to start the climb again. We have to start the build again. So we we have to start from a lower point. And I think that's what people forget because we go off this like big epic conclusion and then expect the next film to top it. But of course it's not going to top it because we're resetting a new phase. And I'd argue this was always going to be a bit underwhelming simply for the fact that it's, as I said, a reset after a climax. It's the calmer period before we start building up anticipation and excitement again. And I think... We just need to adjust our expectations with that in mind. What do you think? Yeah, look, a, a few things to unpack here because I know that you are not being an apologist for the MCU in its misfires. <laughs> I'm not going to go down down that road. I feel like you're maybe implying that I am. <laughs> yes, well, if you read between the lines, my friend, perhaps. Look, this is where I know that we've been on the opposite sides of the fence all the way through because I had a real issue with Phase 4 in just that it was a crescendo that just kept building and building and didn't go anywhere. Just Jenga blocks, Jenga blocks. And unfortunately for me, like the beginning of phase five is just another Jenga. I mean, we've had eight movies in phase four. Then this is the first of phase five. Like we're up to 31 movies now. And Mm -hmm. I feel that, yes, maybe we do need to lower our expectations, but there's too much world building. There's too much, here's someone new, here's something else, here's the big bad, all forget about that. Let's just (laughs) introduce you to this and then next year we're going to do that and then where are we going? We don't know. Do you know? Can you tell us? (laughs) That's just what I'm feeling. And the real issue, I guess, with where I'm at with the MCU and it plays out Perfectly, like textbook example of how I feel in this one. Lee, let's talk about retcon storytelling. Okay. Because I feel like with the the quantum realm itself, we've been there before. Yeah. Janet Van Dyke was stuck there for 30 years. All of a sudden, we're meant to believe that the quantum realm lives and exists and breathes and is something completely different to what we've experienced before. You know, lines like, you said there was nothing down here. It's like, yeah, because there wasn't. And now we're meant to believe (laughs) that, oh, actually, no, Janet has all these secrets in this this whole world and just run with us and we'll, we'll carry on, guys. But have we seen much of the quantum realm before? Like Scott kind of flew in there in, was it the first Ant-Man or the second? First. One, one or the other, yeah. Yeah, but it was so brief. And then he got stuck there for five years in our time, but it was mm-hmm. only five minutes for him. So he didn't really get to see much of it. I feel like we haven't really seen the quantum realm before. So they can do that. Well, based on what we see in this movie, we, we really have never seen a quantum realm like this. And I'm going to agree with you, Lee. You bring up a very good point. 
Earth time, he was down there for five years, but he was down there for five minutes. What can you really explore down there in five minutes? Mm. I, I completely understand. But it feels so black and white to what we have seen and experienced before. I, I like the premise of Janet having these secrets and this double life over 30 years that she hasn't been able to or wanted to relive based on trauma with her family. Mm. Uh, I get that, but it just feels rather convenient to progress into phase five and where we're headed with the MCU. I, I don't know. I just, I can't get it out of my head. Speaking of Janet and her double life, I guess we'll talk about this a bit later, but mm. Bill Murray's cameo, absolutely irrelevant and useless. Yeah. It was really annoying. What actually. was the point of that? <laughs> he was just being Bill Murray for five minutes and then that was it. I really don't think he was necessary to the story whatsoever. Very, very strange cameo there. Let's talk about the special effects for a second because I think that's where the movie really shines. It jumps straight into the action, as we said, and it's obviously very special effects heavy because this fantastical world exists, you know, in time and space. I found the quality of the CGI and the special effects really, really wonderful and engaging. Yeah, I completely agree. I was actually taken aback by the scale and the scope and the quality of work here because I did go in concerned that given where we were headed with this film and especially because we get into the quantum realm within the first 10 or 15 minutes, I thought, are they going to be able to sustain the wonder and intrigue of this world? And they absolutely do. This film looks visually gorgeous. Well, when you watch the credits, you see the size of the teams that <laughs> were working on it. Like it's just pages and pages and pages of CGI specialists, special effects. You know, it's just amazing. Good on them. You know, movies are getting longer and longer these days. Yes, I know. I'm bringing it up on the podcast again, how long movies are. <laughs> and, you know, we've been toying around the idea of should intermissions come back? Is that a thing that we should reintroduce into the world of cinema? I reckon there should be an intermission during the credits. Like just going off the back of how many people are involved in certain departments. You need to take a breath before you move into the next department sometimes. <laughs> yes. It's wild. Well, it's called a mid credit scene. That's your intermission right there. Hey, there you go. It's been there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've turned the quantum realm into a colourful, vibrant world full of fantastical amoeba-like creatures. I I guess it takes a leaf a little bit out of Thor, Love and Thunder's visual style. Yeah, and maybe a bit of Guardians of the Galaxy as well. It's deeply inspired by both of those yeah. stories and characters and worlds for sure. Let's talk about the characters and mm. performances, shall we? Of course, Scott Lang, played by the effervescent Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> Are you blushing, Lee? I can see you blushing. Big, big Paul Rudd fans here. <laughs> uh, he's the accidental superhero who ended up saving the world. And now, of course, he's more sure of himself and he has purpose. He's taken a victory lap, if you will, and become a bit... A a bit complacent. A bit complacent, that's it. And literally a victory lap at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Look, I love Paul Rudd big time. And he's been a real fun injection to the MCU ever since he was introduced back in, I feel like it was 2015. But here, I, I'm, I'm really excited because... Ant-Man seems to have yet another crucial role leading up to the next Avengers film, mm. especially because of his encounter with Kang. I mean, the next Avengers movie is called Avengers Kang Dynasty. Yeah. And but arguably, other than a few other characters, he's had that direct sort of byline into this big bad villain. So mm. it's setting him up for, to have a, a bit of fun and maybe surprises with some of more of his dramatic tones, which we got flavours of in this movie. I mean, he is the central character, of course, but I was going to ask you if he was a bit underutilised because this is really the Janet Van Dyne show, really. 
which I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer, hello. Like I had no issues with that. I was very surprised at how much of this film was about Janet. Yeah. And I loved that. But you are right. Is he shafted to the side? Yes, a little bit. But I I honestly didn't have a problem with that because I'm such a fan of Michelle Pfeiffer, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but the central theme of the movie is, again, family Mm. and Scott's connection with his daughter, Cassie. It's a family road trip, but quantum, if you will. So that was competing a little bit with the Janet Van Dyne secret show. Yeah, I think this is another thing to discuss in that the story does juggle a lot of themes and plots. I mean, for Mm. most of the movie, you're following the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers sort of narrative where characters get split off and you're following their own journeys. Obviously, don't think it succeeded as successfully as Peter Jackson and his team did, (laughs) but, but it is balancing a lot of balls up in the air for sure. I did love seeing Michelle Pfeiffer in more of an action role. Yes. She gets some stunts, doesn't she? And she does. she's 64 years old. I loved it. Everyone yep. else is just along for the ride. <laughs> Basically. Uh, Michael Douglas, who of course returns as Hank Pym, doesn't have a lot to do this time. No. But as we said, it's a family adventure. So he's along there with his aunts. <laughs> he loves his aunts, doesn't he? <laughs> he loves his aunts. He's such an aunt oh, guy. God. Yeah, he was... And, I mean, did he have much of a purpose in this movie? Not really. He was a footnote. He looked like like Michael Douglas was having quite a lot of fun with what he was given to do as well, yeah. which which was nice. I mean, I liked how they elevated Michelle Pfeiffer so much and then Michael Douglas was kind of just doing some wacky shit in the, in the corner of the frame every now and then. It was <laughs> yes. quite fun. Some wacky shit. I love that. <laughs> We've also got Hope, played by Evangeline Lilly, who is revitalising the family company and smashing goals like the boss that she is. Yep. But she's struggling with the reality of having her mum back and not – having that instant open bond that she fantasized about, you know, she's been waiting for her mother to come back for 30 years Mm. and she envisioned that they were going to have this wonderful open relationship and spend all their time braiding each other's hair and talking (laughs) about secrets and stuff. And Janet has these massive secrets that she's keeping from the whole family. Yeah. It's a huge barrier in building or rebuilding that relationship between mother and daughter because Hope was like a young girl when her mum disappeared mm. into the quantum realm. So considerable amount of abandonmentship has, has been felt with her. And so you do feel that sort of that struggle that Hope is having, thinking that she's rebuilding this relationship with her mum, yet she's been holding all these secrets that ultimately put the whole family in danger and they have no choice but to work together. So that family dynamic is is quite interesting in this in this mm. film in multiple layers. We've also got Jonathan Majors making his return as Kang, although a different Kang, I believe, than what we saw in Loki. Yes, because that was a, a variant and this is another variant I of Kang. So, yeah. yeah, so it is a different yeah. Kang, you're right. Jonathan Majors does make a thrilling villain, although you don't really get to feel how seriously dangerous he is in the performance until towards the end mm. when that real viciousness and brute force comes out, which for most of the film, I felt he was a bit overhyped. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, especially like when we sat in on the Q and A, Jonathan Majors was saying how he brought himself on set with hype music, like Kang is here sort of thing. And it's interesting you say that, that, you know, he was quite one note for about 80% of the movie until he got a little cranky at the end. And I was like, but I didn't get the vibe of this guy coming on set with big hype music because he was 
very conserving his energy. He was he was intimidating, mm. but I didn't really yeah. feel scared of him. <laughs> I think that's a creative choice in the performance too because they say, you know, that this Kang can experience every timeline all at once, beginning and end of time. He knows everything that's going on. So how do you convey someone like that who has so much going on inside his brain? And I guess the route that they went down was that he's a bit more conservative. Mm. Which I guess is unsettling knowing how powerful from a knowledge and insight perspective that Mm. he is that he can just walk around and be super calm uh, at all times. But hear me on this one, Lee. Maybe maybe I'm going in the absolute ridiculous territory, which I I tend to go. But so a formidable villain, question mark for me, because perhaps because we've seen multiple variants of Kang with Loki and now this one, I worry that we're venturing towards nutty professor territory than anything else. (laughs) Nutty professor. (laughs) (laughs) Like, do do you hear me? I don't know. I'm I'm worried. Now that you've said that. I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough one because you kind of need that one Yeah, it's just really the really bad one, which I think this Kang is. Like I said, there's a reason he's been banished to the quantum realm. Mm. One character who needs special mention, and we didn't say this at the top of the episode, but we'll put it in the show notes. Always no spoilers in our episodes. We're not going to spoil anything here, but this is in the trailer. So one character needs special mention. And that's Modok. He makes his official MCU appearance in this one, but there's a big twist to him that I'm not going to spoil. For those unfamiliar, which was you, Tim, yes? Completely in the dark. (laughs) Modok is a mechanised organism designed only for killing. He was a man who underwent extreme medical experimentation to increase his intelligence and it works. He turns into an evil genius, but he ends up with a freakishly large head and a stunted body. So he has to kind of fly around with this (laughs) machine and they've gone in a very different direction with the character, which I think is really going to divide audiences. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I hated it. You hated it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Purely because I was like, it felt too bizarre. And maybe it's my lack of understanding on the Modoc character and what he's about. Mm. But it felt really bizarre and strange. And I felt like he overstayed his welcome. And it started to edge towards the try-hard humour that overstated its welcome so much in Thor Love and Thunder. How did you feel about this? Because I'm curious. They use him as comedic relief and I think it's a big fan service moment for the people who know who MODOK is. I mean, for me, I kind of went, oh, it's (laughs) MODOK. And then when they did the big twist reveal, I went, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. And you can't get that out of your head then, can you? Like who it is and and how they're behaving and and all the rest of it. It it didn't work for me personally. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to the costumes and the design of this world. Okay. We mentioned it's very colourful, but it's also really reminiscent of Star Wars in its costuming and design. Yes. Did you feel that at the time or was that something that you'd read after and then went, oh, yeah, actually – it did because that that's what no it was for me. I felt it was very obvious. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, to me it hit me in the face like a wet fish. We see <laughs> beings that look like sand people or Tuscan raiders. Yeah. 
And some of the characters wander into this secret cantina-like watering hole, which is very much like Star Wars with all these different like variable characters all yeah. there doing doing their business under the table. It just it was very, very Star Wars. All you needed was... So you're saying that this has been talked about at length. Do they deliberately take inspiration from Star Wars? Oh, I don't know if they took inspiration from, but people that I've that I've read online have have felt that it was inspired by Star Wars and and with what you've listed out, it seems yeah, like a wet fish in the face quite obvious, which is a nice <laughs> yeah. homage because it basically does play out like for lack of another thing to say, it does play out like a Star Wars movie. Like it feels like they're in space having an adventure and running around with different yeah. creatures and trying to, you know, beat a baddie. So I can totally see the inspiration in in more ways. Just one more thing on the design, which I really appreciated. Obviously, we've mentioned that the CGI is quite heavy and very impressive, as you would expect from an mm. MCU movie with such a budget as these films hold. But I really appreciated the attention of the art department in building out really tangible, real sets for the actors to play in, which might sound odd when you're thinking, when you've watched the trailer and you're seeing how much is CGI, but a lot of it is they're in those spaces and it adds a, a really interesting aesthetic layer, which which I really loved. I think Kang's costume as well was really interesting. Yeah, I don't know about that. No? What are your thoughts on it? I thought there were too many layers to it. I thought, is he trying to be... A, a Scotsman with the kilt or is he trying to be a baddie with the cape and what's with the glowing helmet over the face thing? I don't know. It was just, it didn't seem to gel together for me in, in terms of all the all the parts. Right. Okay. He looked a bit out of place, do you think? Well, I mean, maybe on purpose. Yeah. Well, in the design of his costume, they've taken inspiration from, I think it's called the Celestium, like the timeline waves that we've seen before and there was a lot of that in his costuming and his little ship that he crashed into the quantum realm with yeah there were some synergies across the design which were really cool and it felt a lot like the circles and stuff that we'd seen in eternals as well so i wonder whether that's coincidence or on purpose in some way that it's connected with maybe that story or or those people or maybe i'm looking into it too much I think visually it looked really beautiful, but mm. that's probably what the most that it had going for it. Is that what we're coming to conclusion? That, well, on? yeah, that's that's where I'm headed here. Yeah, <laughs> tell tell me more. Wrap up. Okay, so phase five of the MCU has stumbled out of the gate with this one. The biggest takeout for me was that while watching it, I didn't feel any great sense of excitement, and as I walked out, I had already moved on. This is a growing trend with MCU films for me, and it's sad. Just like a character in the film explains, I have holes, so does the story, and you are left with the generic MCU film masked as an Ant-Man film, used as a vessel to set up even more context before anything happens. This has been going on for some eight films and countless TV shows now, and I'm just a little fed up, Lee. Is the beat ever going to drop? I'm going to rate Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania two and a half popcorn kernels. Well, there you go. I guess with phase four, we didn't talk about this before, but Spider-Man No Way Home was kind of the pinnacle of phase four and it was right in the middle of it, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just thrust in there, blew everyone away, made a whole bunch of money and then we kind of just go yeah. off into mediocre territory again. That that would have been a good ending to phase four, I reckon. Completely agree. All right, Lee, what's your wrap-up of Ant-Man and the Wasp? Okay, ultimately, it's tough to find the balance between the humour and the lightness of this character 
and the darkness of a Kang that they are setting up as this phase's overarching villain, who is meant to rival Thanos as the worst that anyone has ever faced. That does remain to be seen for me, but what is interesting is they've taken one of the less obvious comic book characters and turned him into one of the most popular. He is incredibly popular and they're already talking about a fourth film. I enjoyed Quantumania for its spectacular special effects and easy entertainment. I'm giving it three popcorn kernels out of five. Well, there you go, guys. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is in Australian cinemas from February 16. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, Tim, jumping into the news. Following the popularity of other slasher franchise revivals such as Scream and Halloween, another sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer is reportedly in the works with Jennifer Caton Robinson, who co-wrote Thor Love and Thunder, set to direct. I just love how you said the name of that film, Lee. So unlike with the straight-to-DVD threequel, I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. are expected to reprise their roles from the original and its sequel, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. How good is that? Yeah, it's good that they're coming back. It makes sense. So it's too early in development for any details about the film, but apparently Sony were reportedly blown away by the story pitch from writer Leah McKendrick. So watch this space. Watch this space. I just hope she doesn't lean too far into her Thor Love and Thunder (laughs) (laughs) co-writing and also is not too inspired by how the David Gordon Green Halloween franchise came to a head. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right, fam, we just have to talk about the Fast X trailer that dropped this week. Now, this film is actually the first chapter of a series two-part finale with Fast and Furious 11 as the final instalment. So, what are we in for with this part one finale, Lee? Well, okay, over many missions and against impossible odds, Dom Toretto played by Vin Diesel again, and his family have outsmarted, outnerved and outdriven every foe in their path. Now they confront the most lethal opponent they've ever faced, played by Jason Momoa. He's a terrifying threat that emerges from the shadows of the past, fueled by blood revenge. He's determined to shatter this family and destroy everything and everyone that Dom loves. Forever. <laughs> yeah, riveting. Jesus, how dramatic. I mean, speaking of retcon storytelling, like with the MCU, it's like, oh, there's been this big bad here all along that has planted all these seeds of destruction throughout. Well, what did we think of the trailer, Lee? Because, you know, this film reportedly cost US $340 million to produce. Oh, my Lord. That is a lot 
of coin. It's no surprise though, right, with how many actors are in this franchise and the pay packets they must be taking home. Yeah. I will say I'm really excited to see Jason Statham back in this franchise. Yeah, me too. He's been welcomed back in. Yeah, but Dwayne Johnson is definitely still on the out. And apparently Vin Diesel is trying to get Gal Gadot back into the franchise because she featured a couple of films ago, yeah. which would be huge because she's had a massive career ever since her time in the franchise. Didn't she die in the franchise? Oh, well, people have died in Fast and Furious <laughs> and they've yeah. somehow found a way to bring them back, so I'm not worried. Yeah. I was really excited about the trailer. It's full of energy, it's full of driving, it's full of stunts, it's it's giving us a taste of what we love about Fast and the Furious. That's right, and I can see every dollar of that $340 million on the screen, <laughs> that's for sure. Yes, in <laughs> smashed cars. <laughs> yes, that's it. Maybe they need some tits from Michael Bay, because when you spoke to him, he gets given cars to smash up, so I wonder yeah. if that's the situation with Fast and Furious. So Fast X speeds into Australian cinemas in May. We don't have long to wait. Not long at all, Lee. Well, on to the next epic trailer of the week. We finally got the first trailer for DCEU's The Flash. I can't wait to talk about this one with you. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go to heads around first. The plot of this one, because it is promising to be quite the ride indeed. So the tagline reads, Worlds collide in The Flash when Barry Allen uses his superpowers to travel back in time to change the events of the past. But when his attempt to save his family inadvertently alters the future, Barry becomes trapped in a reality in which General Zod has returned and there are no superheroes to turn to. Oh, Shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. That is, unless Barry can coax a very different Batman out of retirement and rescue an imprisoned Kryptonian, albeit not the one he's looking for, ultimately to save the world that he is in and return to the future that he knows, Barry's only hope is to race for his life. Now, I know you were kind of avoiding watching this trailer because I told you they give a lot away. I wonder what they're keeping for the film because we see Michael Keaton's Batman, Mm -hmm. which was speculated, of course, and we knew he was going to be in there somewhere, but he seems like he's got a really prominent role. Yes, which excites me to no end, Lee. It does, but they've really given us a lot in this trailer, don't you think? Yeah, I completely agree. And I lasted, well, when was Super Bowl day? That was Monday our time. I think I lasted two and a half days. And I was like, no, I've got to throw this trailer on. Because I did, I did say, I was like, nah, nah, I'm not going to watch. I'm nervous. I don't want to. I was like, all right, let's just throw it on. I just can't. FOMO was too fucking real for this one. We've been wondering a long time about this film because obviously there's a lot of behind-the-scenes controversy with Ezra Miller and then all the changes with the DCU leadership and James Gunn taking over. Mm. It felt like this film was just going to be a mess that they just kind of sweep under the rug. But now with the trailer, everyone is just salivating and can't wait for it. Yeah, I mean, James Gunn himself, and I mean, he serves out his own Kool-Aid, I guess. So take this with a grain of salt. But he has said it's one of the best superhero movies ever made. So he's excited. And it is being used just to remind uh, you listening that this is going to serve as the universe reset of the DCU. So a lot's going to go down in this one and it's then going to set us up for what's to come. One thing that bugs me that's a little nitpicky Mm -hmm. is in the trailer, okay, we get two Barrys. So we get past Barry and future Barry that's travelled back to the past working together. And he constantly refers to himself as Barry. Now, if you were going to meet yourself and you're sitting there talking, there's no one else in the room, do you use the name... Do you know what I mean? Like, would you be like, oh, Tim, what are you talking about? Like, you'd just be like, what are you talking about? 
Well, I mean, okay, this has just popped into my head. I, that is a very good question. But I'm wondering, wouldn't you be curious to know what it would be like to talk to yourself and use your own name in that context? Wouldn't you just be like, <laughs> I never get to say Tim because that's my name. I don't speak to myself in the, the third person. So Now who's being a Flash apologist? <laughs> okay, touche, my friend. <laughs> touche. The Flash will race into Australian cinemas in June. Okay, Lee. Actor Tim Allen dropped a bombshell on Twitter, announcing his return as the voice of Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story 5. The actor tweeted... Mic drop. Yeah, mic drop, right? See you soon, Woody. You are a sad, strange little man and you have my pity. Off we go to a number five to infinity and beyond. I feel like you're going to have some strong opinions about this. Of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) Because Toy Story... You love Toy Story. I... Utterly adore Toy Story. It is one of the best trilogies of all time. Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3. That's, in my opinion, where this franchise should have ended because it was just so perfect. We got Mm. Toy Story 4, which was a nice movie. It was very well made, Uh, but we didn't need it. And then now Mm. we're getting Toy Story 5. I'm like, there's more endings than The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King at this point with this (laughs) franchise. That's the second time you've referenced that movie. I love it. (laughs) Now, look, there's been no indication whether Tom Hanks will return as Woody, but Alan's tweet does seem to imply that Buzz and Woody will reunite. And with the backlash of Chris Evans being cast as Buzz in Lightyear, it would be an ill-advised move to recast the voice of Woody. I think so alongside Tim Allen's Buzz. They need to get them back both. Yeah, read the room, Disney. That would just (laughs) be an utter disaster if they got like... Colin Hanks as the voice of Woody instead of Tom. (laughs) So Disney CEO Bob Iger confirmed the news, adding there would also be sequels in the works for Frozen and Zootopia. And I quote, we'll have more to share about this production soon, but this is a great example of how we're leaning into our unrivaled brands and franchises. The big announcements, though, come as Disney is expected to slash 7,000 jobs in a huge cost-cutting exercise among its 100-year celebrations. Kind of takes the shine off the excitement of these announcements somewhat, doesn't it, when you know what's going on behind the scenes? It really does. I mean, what a exciting time for Disney to be celebrating 100 years. They've got some big things planned. And then... It's diluted by 7,000 people losing their jobs. It's so unfortunate. We are thinking about all those people that have lost their jobs. And yeah, the shine, the shine has really been rubbed off. Yeah. It's like, look over here while we're doing this thing over here. Yeah, it's a complete PR mastermind stunt yeah. for sure. Anyway, moving on. In some really exciting casting news, Emma Corrin will play the villain in Deadpool 3. Frigging love this. Now, it is currently unknown what that villain will be, with details on the plot being kept under wraps, as you can imagine. But what we do know is that it will be the first Deadpool film officially set in the MCU, with Sean Levy directing. Before we move on, what do you think of the casting of them as a villain? Because we've seen Emma Corrin in The Crown, obviously, and uh, My Policeman recently. They played Princess Diana in The Crown. So not particularly a villainous role, is it? No, this feels like a real left turn for them as a Mm. character choice. I'm excited for them. I'm really excited. I just, I don't know what sort of villain I feel like. They might be playing a villain 
that we've never seen before within the world of Deadpool, which I think is is a mm. good move. What's also really exciting about this one is Deadpool 3 will serve as the MCU's first R-rated film, which offers a very different tone for the more generally family-friendly MCU to date. Doesn't it just? Well, of course we have the Merc with a mouth Ryan Reynolds reprising his role as Deadpool with Aussie icon Hugh Jackman clawing his way back into the role of Wolverine after mm. originally retiring from the character with 2017's critically acclaimed Logan. You know, that was the perfect place to leave Wolverine and Hugh Jackman's take on him. Mm-hmm. But I'm also so excited to see these two on screen together because of all that banter and that really fun rivalry that they have off screen. Honestly, I think it's going to play out as one of the best on screen chemistry performances of recent time. I've got high hopes for this. I completely agree with you, Lee. Logan closed the chapter on Hugh Jackman's role as Wolverine so beautifully, but I'm so torn because I just can't wait for him to return. Like I'm actually totally okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right, friends, that wraps up another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. We covered Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Which is in Australian cinemas from February 16. Thank you so much for joining us again. And we'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.